I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. To, uh, I'm going to be teaching out of Proverbs 2022, 20, but I'm going to take it in a direction you may not necessarily think. And uh, one thing's for sure, what I, I was talking about Sunday night, preaching about uh, seeing through the eyes of compassion, seeing things as, as Jesus sees them. And um, one of the very, very difficult things that we deal with as, as human beings is the idea of letting people get away with hurting us. And this proverb addresses this well and will take us into some things that I want to talk about church-wise, how, actually how churches are killed. And um, I, I, I'm hoping tonight, you know, I'm, I'm not, <clears throat> I figured everybody would remember something tonight because I only preached for 20 minutes. That's unusual for me, 20 minutes, that's, that's something. Um, I think it was Brian who said, uh, Brian Silvers, he said, I don't think I remember you preaching just for 20 minutes. I said, well, you know, that's, I, I can do it. If I, one thing's for sure, one thing I'd like to, any, any ministry, the greatest thing that you can do is stop when God wants you to stop. And the worst thing you can do is keep going when God wants you to stop because you miss everything. You miss everything. And that, that's a vital thing. When you feel like that you've reached the end, it doesn't matter if you're in the middle of a thought. If God is going to operate within the service or somebody's being touched, it's best for you to stand back and let Jesus Christ take over. That's the vital thing. Proverbs 20, verse 22 says this. It says, Say not thou, I will recompense evil. And this is, you know, that we're talking about this, but this last part of it. But wait on the Lord, and he shall save you or thee. He shall save you. Now, this is not just speaking in as much as salvation, but he's talking about situations, things we get into. Don't try to beat your way out of it. But he said, wait on the Lord and let him take you out of it. That's what he's speaking of here. You may be seated. I think all of us can, would, would say with, with a great deal of honesty that at some time in your life you would make this statement that revenge is sweet. We, you would, we would all say that. Uh, your spirit says this, world says it, but, but God doesn't say that. It's completely contrary to what is taught in the Scripture and what God has brought to us. Solomon warned his son against this sin. Proverbs 24, 28, and 29. Proverbs 24, 28, and 29. Let's look at that one. It says, Be not a witness against thy neighbor without cause, and deceive not with thy lips. Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Okay? You see, this is what Solomon was teaching his son. Don't, don't try to, to get even. And, and in fact, it goes on. It says, don't, don't even speak about it. You know, don't, don't talk about it. And, and repaying evil to anyone is something that you don't even let cross your mind. I know that's a difficult thing to say, but this is what God really wants out of His people. So rather than take things into your own hands regarding your enemies, let the Lord take care of this situation. 
That's what he's saying here. So when someone hurts you, the natural response all of us have that is anger and thoughts of self-defense and revenge. So you react immediately. You react instinctively and violently. But that's due to a nature that we inherited from, from Adam. It's our depraved heart, if you would, that we inherited from him. But Paul described his own natural instincts this way. He said, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving different lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. And Titus 3.3. 3. He was telling that's the way that we used to be. This, again, goes back to, to a, a thought that I've had all year. And that is, again, crossing over the Jordan River. When do we really, as a, as, a, as a body, and I'm not just talking about this church, but as a body, when do we really get across? And you know, in my heart, I, I believe that people can, as individuals, can, can make up their mind and cross over and get into the area of receiving the promises that God had for us. But we do know that in, 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 in truth, the time that as a body we really get over there is when the rapture takes place. That's when we cross over and, and the fulfillment actually takes place. But I, I don't believe that we have to sit and fight, fight constantly. Though I do know that we have battles, we have spiritual battles, and I know that we, uh, you know, according to what goes on each day, we have to battle the, the thoughts that come into our mind, the thoughts of revenge, the thought of why did that person do that to me, or why is that person that's sitting on the platform, I know the truth about that individual, or that person that is singing in the choir, or that person that's teaching Sunday school. You know, you, you, you've got some kind of thought in your mind, maybe you saw them, maybe you thought you saw something that you really didn't see. The devil is not only a good liar, but he's a great illusionist. All right? He's a great at making you think things that are not really there. Believe me, I, I, I personally have seen that happen, and I know many of you have too. So you, know, you, you, you get all these thoughts in your mind, and, and they, these things stop you from receiving the promises that God had for you. That's why we stand at the edge of the Jordan and we take steps out and then somehow we get drawn back because the devil has got some kind of hold on us in our flesh that keeps us from getting over and feeling the freedom. I, I say this again. You've heard me preach it and we've talked about it. Others have preached it. There is a place in God which I call crossing the Jordan that you can get into where you can have hardships, bad times, and all kinds of things can come against you, but you can still have joy in your spirit and know that you're going to get through this. You can know this. That's the place I'm speaking of, and this is the kind of thing that we have to learn to deal with in order to arrive at that place. Mankind, he likes to fight. He likes war. And, you know, and rather than overlooking offenses, you, you want to repay those offenses. Rather than forgive wrongs, you, you hold a grudge forever. And Paul described your, your warlike character, again, very graphically. He said this in Romans 3.14. He said, The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. Revenge comes from pride. Do you know that? All comes from pride. That's that sin of pride that, that takes us down so many times. Because a humble man doesn't, doesn't worry about repaying evil. 
Revenge is, is, is blinding. It can easily lead to more and, and, and more horrible, if you would, crimes. And, and revenge can lead to murder. Solomon's Proverbs are about wisdom and, and the blinding rage of revenge perverts your ability to, to see and understand and to judge correctly. It destroys wisdom and it leads to sinful actions. It leads to that. The situations at stake that I'm speaking of, and I want you to get this, because there's a lot of times you get to preaching or teaching in this, this way, there, there's, a, there's a confusion that comes in people's minds. But these situations that I'm speaking of right now are personal offenses against you. These are personal things. Offenses against God are to be dealt with as the Bible directs to dealt, deal with them. And the Bible is very replete with telling you how to deal with offenses. You've heard me speak. Uh, I talked to uh, one of the sisters here, I think it was last week, talking about turning such one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit can be saved. And, you know, and, and a lot of times in a, and someone is new in the church, they don't quite understand what's being said here but let's 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 keep this in, in, in understanding because when it comes to personal offenses against you there's a lot of things you have to let go but offenses against god is a different story and they are to be dealt with as the bible directs and this is where you turn someone over to satan when it gets to that particular point rebellious children are to be punished sinning church members are to be excluded and when it comes right down to violent citizens, that's why we have the rule of law. And there has to be. Now, whether we, anybody wants to disagree or agree with me, whatever you want to do, and you think I'm wrong and you're perfectly capable of, of coming to an opinion on your own, but I'm a strong believer in capital punishment. Sorry, I just do. Somebody that goes out and rapes and kills little kids and does things like that, there's only one thing that needs to be done. I like to see them pray through and get the Holy Ghost, but they still need to pay for their sins. You reap what you sow. So this is, this is a rule of law. Personal offenses are to be overlooked, and personal enemies are to be loved, according to Matthew five thirty-eight through 48. Now, this is the law of Jesus Christ, and it is the highest form of charity and wisdom in the world. Rather than returning evil for evil, a noble and a wise man will return good for evil. So he's avoiding the, the blind danger of grudges and, and, and revenge and, and calming his enemies with kindness and patience and glorifying God in a difficult matter. And there's a lot of scriptures that, that pertain to this. And this is wisdom. This is true Proverbs wisdom when you can learn to deal in that manner with someone that has offended you. You shouldn't, again, even think about revenge, not even in your heart, not even when evil befalls your enemies from other sources. God and Solomon condemned any joy when your enemy falls in Proverbs 24:17. I'll be addressing that one later on. Not tonight, but later on down the road. Sinful thoughts against another uh, is murder, according to Matthew 5, 21 through 22. That's even sinful thoughts. So you have to think about who, who are your enemies? Who do you, do you have a problem with? Now, when I say that, now I'm not talking about someone you try to just avoid. I'm talking about someone you've got a grudge against, and down in your heart, if you had the right opportunity and nobody was looking, you'd cut their throat. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Well, that was a little bit deep. You hit them with a club. You know, something of that nature. That's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so who are they? 
And let's just take that one. Let's take it. Who are they that you resent? Same thing. And are you harboring a grudge of, of thoughts of revenge against anybody? And what thoughts of revenge can be, well, I really wish God would take them down a notch. That's revenge. That is revenge. Oh, you try to make, make it godly. That, that's even worse. That's godly revenge. I want God to just take them out of the picture. I've seen God take people out of the picture. And, and, and you know, after it was over with, you knew why God did it. But I, you, know, you shouldn't be thinking and hoping that it happens. Because that's liable to turn right around and you be taken out of the picture. You know, one thing about it, God does know how to take care of his people. And it's a matter of, of you keeping the right spirit and the right attitude at all times. And when you do that, when you do that, then you just can count on God taking, taking care of every situation. And this is truly, this is, uh, this is, this is true wisdom. Glorious men, and it's a good way of, uh, of putting it, pass over personal transgressions by others in Proverbs 19.11. They're not moved especially to anger or revenge by others' offenses. They're too noble to be disturbed, distracted, or destroyed by minor and insignificant things. And if you cannot gloriously and nobly ignore offenses, there's only one other option. And that is Matthew 18, 15 through 17. And that is just simply, if you got aught against your brother, go to him. And if that doesn't work, you take a witness. And if that doesn't work, you take it before the church. We never do that anymore. But I think that probably would solve a lot of problems if you did. <laughs> a lot of problems. But there again, the problem is they walk 30 foot and go to another church. You know, it's, that's just, that's, that is good preaching. Thank you. Joseph assigned his brother's <coughs> offenses to the, to the sovereignty or the love of God and, and did them no harm. Though he had them in his power, according to Genesis 45. So Joseph shows you a good example of not taking revenge. Great example. Abigail kept David from foolish revenge against Nabal in 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 25, 23. And he let Shimei curse believing God would hear in 2 Samuel 16, 15. So you have to learn to commit your soul to your Creator. Commit myself to God. Commit all my ways to Him. And if I do that, then he'll take care of all the situations. The best revenge is to leave enemies to God because God is fair. Let's, let's take that down. How do you deal? I, I mean, not, let's, just, let's just put it, let's put it in the heat of the moment. The heat of the moment, you're really angry. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you're really mad. And, you know, you want to strike out, what's the best thing to do? Help me, somebody. What do you do in that situation? You're a godly person. You know, you, you know that, that, that you love God, God loves you, and this person, they're supposed to be just like you are. And they're doing the dumbest thing on the face of the earth. They're absolutely obnoxious. There's nothing good. There's nothing wise about them. Go ahead. Tell me. Consider yourself first. That, that same thing could happen to you. That you could do something completely stupid, malicious, and okay. And we can. We can. But all right, how do you get away from that situation? Uh, 
All right, and that's that's good. But let's 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 take that a step further. Are you ready? You got this person who knows they've done something extremely stupid. They know they have, and all of a sudden they want to get together and talk it out. Now, maybe you can handle that, but I think it's very wise, at least in my case is stay away from the situation. You like that? Okay. You stay away from it for a while because you don't want to lash back out, even if you're, you can do it in a, a very good way. You know, I've learned through the years how to cut someone apart and smile all the time you're doing it and walk away feeling fulfilled. <laughs> you do. You learn how to do that. That's godly revenge. Right. And that's not the thing to do. Sometimes that's not the thing. Uh, you know, it is, is not the right thing to do. So it's best to stay away from the situation. And even if that person is, you know, well, I, I don't understand. You're not forgiving me? Yeah, well, I will. I promise. But give me some time. Don't, don't put me in a situation to fix it now. You know, that's, I like now with, when I find my wife, I want to fix it immediately. You know, because it's different. I've known her for a long time. It's, it's a different story. And she knows what she can say, and, and I know what I can say. And she forgives me because she has to. Okay? <laughs> but, you know, you, you just get yourself in situations. Sometimes it's best to st- It's a cooling-off period that you don't. And, and, you know, it allows God to settle things in your mind. And, and the, what you brought out, I have to sometimes remember that that I could be in that other situation. But I don't always think that way immediately. I could be the guy who's done something really stupid. So I, I have to, I have to take me some time to get to understand that, yeah, I've done that same thing, in fact. And so, you know, then the, then the time comes that you can, you can make things right. Uh, because otherwise, it can just turn into another form of revenge. That's all it will do. And really, when it comes down to the basics of all this, uh, you know, your best revenge is to leave enemies to God because he's fair, and he always will be fair. David left Saul to the Lord, though he could have killed him. And what was the result? Saul fearfully consulted a witch, killed himself, was hung up for display by the Philistines, was cremated, had his bones buried under a tree, and his family was cut off from the throne. So, you know, you want revenge? There's revenge. You know, but I don't believe that David wanted that to happen. And that's the key. David didn't want that to happen. Moses was wickedly confronted by his sister in Korah. And rather than punishing these arrogant, profane rebels himself, he left the matter to the Lord. Miriam was sharply rebuked by the Lord and became white with leprosy and was quarantined outside the camp. And Korah, we know what happened to him. He was swallowed alive by the earth. See, you know, God takes care of his people. And only the Lord can create and sustain a, a loving and peaceful spirit in a man. So that, that anger and revenge are only fleeting thoughts. You know, it, it, they really are, and it, it's foolishness. And faith in, in God's cure for, you know, he, he will always take care of his own. And we have to believe that. We have to realize that God will always take care of his own. Now that leads me as a springboard to this next section, because without 
with, without our ability or our learning, if you would, to allow God to handle every situation, before long, within a body of people, you start having bitterness grow. You start having problems occur. And, and these problems, can, they, they, can, they can actually manifest themselves in different kinds of attitudes. And that's what I want to talk about now just for, for a little while. Uh, and that's just talking about how churches die, because churches do not naturally die. That's just not natural. Not a real church. You know, they are constituted that, that they cannot die a natural death. That, that's just the way we are in a church. That they, ha- they may be killed, uh, may, may, excuse me, they may be killed, but even in this they can hardly be killed by outsiders except by an annihilation of the entire membership. In other words, someone comes in and kills us all. That's the only way that would work. Churches are most often killed from the inside, and their own members kill them. A church is not just an organization, and we know this, and we've heard this preach. A church is an organism. It is a living thing. And as such, it has a potential of either growing and thriving or of languishing and dying. And the Lord promised that his church, uh, you know, that his church considered as an institution would not die. Matthew sixteen eighteen, for the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So God promised that. So, so then how can a local church be killed? How can we kill it? Now, I'm, I'm giving you these points here. It should come up. Hebrews 10, 23, 25. And the first one is by seclusion. I want you to understand this. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke. I love that scripture for this reason. I love consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, that we are to actually provoke one another to love and good works. That's the one thing that we can gouge each other with, with love and, and, and good works. So seclusion. Um, Again, the scripture likened church members to, uh, to members of a physical body. And just as certain organs of the human body cannot be removed without death coming to the body, so it is with the church, the body of Christ. So when members of a church start forsaking, this soon leads to its death. That's why you do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And this is a gradual, gradual death. Starting first with the attitude. And there again, this is where sometimes someone's offended you, a vengeful thing. I mean, you have people think, well, I, I, I know I've got vengeance in my heart. I know that I've got bitterness in my heart. So what should I do? I can't look. I can't sit in the same pew with these, this woman right here. I can't do it. I can't look at her. So I'll stay away from church. That starts the death. The death knell. So, it, and you know, and then after a while, it doesn't matter whether I'm there or not. You begin to think that way. It doesn't really matter. The night services. Now, in our case, it's mostly Sunday morning and Wednesday. Sunday night's always a big one for us. But uh, a lot of churches, they have the problem that the people show up on Sunday morning. They don't show up on Sunday night or Wednesday night. 
But then that's, that's the true acid ch- test of the church. Uh, and the true, true, you've heard me say it before, but it's a truly the way to understand that how a, uh, a member of a church loves the Lord. For a lot of people come to church for the morning services, in our case it can be the night services, simply because there's nothing else to do except stay home. So they just come for that particular reason. It bombs their conscience. I come to church one day a week. A lot of them are going that way anymore. And so, you know, and by the same excuse that, or excuse me, but the same excuses that are thought valid for staying home from church services will not do when someone's invited to a party. Are you with me? Or when money to be made by being in a certain place, you know. That's why that one day God will settle the accounts. One day he will settle the accounts. So you, so you have to take in consideration. You, the, the, and I, I've seen it. I've seen it myself. And you have. We got a big snowstorm, and I think I'm a, really a great guy. And we cancel church, and everybody goes out and goes to someone's house. They have a, they, you know, they tell you to stay off the roads. You know, it's a disaster, whatever they call it. You know, and you know the people, and including me, I've done it. That big snowstorm, I go over to Brother Davis and play risk. So what's the sense in it all? <laughs> oh, really? What's the sense in it all? You know, my wife has got a great, uh, great way of thinking about it. You know, people call, is the road slick? Well, if you feel like they're slick, don't come. You know, they want me to cancel church so they'll feel justified in not coming to church. <laughs> okay. Oh, you didn't think I'd get in here tonight, did you? You didn't think I'd do such a thing. Next one, Acts 2.47. Acts 2.47. Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. The next thing that kills the church is starvation. Not in the way that you think. Okay? A church lives and grows only by people receiving the Holy Ghost, being baptized in Jesus' name, repenting of their sins. All right? That's how they grow. Without additions of these new converts to its number, then it's not nourished by the conversions as a result of preaching and praying. It will soon die off from lack of additions. That's just simply this. A church needs new blood. You know, we can have revival by you having 15 kids, but it's not the same. Okay? It's just not the same. We need new blood. I need somebody in here that I can preach to and still comes up to me with nice, simple questions that I haven't heard in a long time. Jerica's great at that. I love it because she asked me these nice things that, you know, I don't get to always hear those all the time. You know, it's somebody wanting to, to ask you what we know is simple to us. And sometimes we forget that it's not simple to other people. You know, we got our Pentecostal language. And we say things and people don't get it. And so, you know, so it's, it's nice to have that. that. It helps all of us to have that. So you have to have new blood. And it's a, what we will call a, a souls being saved or a blood transfusion to any church. And God does this adding to the church. He does it through the preaching, teaching, praying, and witnessing of his people. That's another thing. Without those things, without us doing that, what we're doing at the, at the, at the Tivoli Theater, 
That is a way of us witnessing outside the walls of this church. This is how we plant the seed. This is, uh, and this is a way that, that we actually preach. It will be done the same way, and, and it helps us to reach people. If we witness, if we preach, teach, and pray, then God is bound. And in fact, before, we have got to spend at least two off nights praying before we do this. The whole church needs to come here. We need to do this before, and if we don't do this, then we're wrong. We can't expect anything if we don't come together, unified, and do something of this nature. The next one, by strife in the church. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envyings and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Strife. Strife has probably killed almost as many churches as any other one thing. When two people are in a disagreement and both are utterly selfish, it will cause strife, which will grow until it consumes the whole church. Unless a church takes steps to end the strife. Strife is a mark of spiritual immaturity and carnality. Strife generally has its roots in pride. For where there is strife, both parties proudly assume that they are right and will not admit even the possibility of being wrong. One of the most tragic forms of church strife is when a member or a group of members get their feelings hurt by the preaching which is very common when the preacher is faithful to preach against sin and declare to what people need to do and how they need to live. So often the dissident member's most common excuse used is that he is a dictator. Now, first off, let me, let me get this. I don't believe in dictators. But I also don't believe in someone who's preaching the Bible being called a dictator. There is a big difference in the two. And that's a common term. And one of the things that you can hurt a preacher with, you know, especially you say, you know, you're a dictator. You tell me something like that, and that's the furthest thing that, from me. But it makes you begin to think. And if you're not careful, then you begin to, to water down what you need to be preaching. Because you don't want people to think of you that way. Probably been a lot of preachers hurt as a result of hearing that particular thing said about them. And again, I don't have any sympathy for a dictator in the pulpit, but, but before a man of God is stigmatized as a dictator, men had best consider what the preacher is commissioned to, and commanded to do. So you can see that in 2 Timothy 4.2, 1 Timothy 5.20, and Titus 1.13. On the basis of these and the many other similar texts, the preacher has a duty to not only declare the truth, but also to rebuke those members who are living wayward lives, and no one has a right to call him a dictator for only doing what God has called him to do. All right, the next one, First Samuel five twenty-two through twenty-three. You'll be seeing this one again in our our. Uh, that's that five or fifteen? No, fifteen. I'm sorry. You're right. You got it right. I said it wrong. Um, you'll be seeing this in our Halloween message. And Samuel said, "Hath the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord." Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Stubbornness. Stubborn. 
Anybody think they're stubborn? My Lord, look at all the witchcraft we've got in here. You need to have an exorcism in this place. <laughs> What's that? I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't catch it. Very good. <laughs> you know, you need to... Yeah, well, anyway, let's move on. <clears throat> I'll let the word do the talking for me. Are we here? In the scriptures, stubbornness is as a sin that compared to witchcraft and idolatry. Some people seem to delight in stubbornly resisting all spiritual progress and activity in the church. And that is the worst kind of stubbornness. That is absolutely the worst kind. It is no virtue to be so set in your ways that you hinder a church from changing for the better. No church was ever so perfect when it started that it had no room to change for the better. And and, and indeed, you know, the very term, a lot of people don't realize this, but the very term sanctification is itself a progressive changing for the better of individuals. Sanctification is a process. You don't just get sanctified. You, You start the process of sanctification, and you continue that process until you are either you either die or the rapture takes place. So we are, you know, we are always in the process of changing for the better. So God help us to not stop doing that. So the sin of the Sardis church was that it stubbornly refused to repent of its sin in Revelations 3.3. And consequently, it slowly died on the vine, all the while refusing to admit its cold and indifferent state. There is such a thing as, as dead orthodoxy. Anybody want to help me? With that one, what is dead? What would you think is dead orthodoxy? Anybody? Dead orthodoxy. Go ahead. Very good. That's the, it's a perfect definition. That's a perfect de- It is simply, they, they stick by the doctrine, but there's no life. They have no, no life. And they, they, have, uh, they, they no longer worship the Lord as He really does. Or they no longer really love Him as they need to love Him. And, and I think that when it comes to that, you can see, that's where we get a lot of self-righteousness. You get people who come in and they look right. But there's no love. They have no love for Jesus Christ. They have no love for the brother. You know, they have nothing. There's just nothing there. They come to church and wrote. They just simply are. They come because they're supposed to. Oh, they'll be there every service. But there's no life to them. They are completely dead. They don't help anything. They don't help other people. They don't help themselves. So they're devoid of any real love for Jesus Christ. They are sound, again, doctrinally sound. Some say, well, it's my life and it's my business whether, you know, uh, repent or not. Uh, it's, it's whatever I do. But this is not true. For every person is an example to someone else. 
And his bad example will lead others astray, and perhaps concerning something much worse, because the corruption of a church member is a corruption of, the, of much of the church. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump in 1 Corinthians 5, 6. So one person going bad, no, I don't believe that, that one person going bad is going to stop revival, but it can hurt a church. It can truly hurt a church. And, and it begins to work. And, you know, you, again, you get that, that bitter. Then, well, someone knows what he's doing in secret. And then they, they sit there. Well, I'm not telling anybody. But it deadens them. And, you know, and they can't handle it. But I, I'm just going to work through this. And they really don't work through it. They're still there, still setting, still bitter, still not understanding why he gets away with what he gets away with. Remember one thing. Your relationship with God depends on you. And you alone the Bible tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, he doesn't affect, he should not affect my relationship with God. He should not, and I shouldn't affect his. If I do something wrong, that's the same way with giving. You know, it's a very same way with giving. You give because you know it's for the work of God. You don't worry about it after you give it. And if people don't understand that, then they're always, always going to be hurting, always going to be doing without. No one can afford to indulge any sin because sin and neglect in church members is what kills churches. Future generations may not have an opportunity to hear the gospel and to be saved because a church was destroyed by the apathy of its members. The attitude of some is, I'm saved, so let the rest of the world go to hell for all I care. And that kind of attitude hardly, hardly evidences genuine salvation. You know, it's just that simple. I'm saved, let everybody else go to hell. Well, that's... And surprisingly enough, there's a lot of people that way. Some people get, you know, they, they fight so long uh, for whatever reason that they may be fighting. They get so embittered. They get so hurt. They get so wounded. And I'm not taken away from that in any way. I know there's a lot of hurt and wounded people out there. But again, you know, we need to pray for your deliverance. You need to get delivered. And you need to stay away from whatever it is that's bothering you. And you need to get your thoughts completely under captivity to the obedience of Christ and not allow it to destroy you. You can't do it. Last but not least, Romans 14, 7 and 8. For no, boy, you are quick. That old lady who's normally up there on Wednesday, she just doesn't move. Oh, there she is. <laughs> Sorry. Don't hit me now. Don't hit me. <laughs> oh, poor Mana. I've given her grief for so long. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. All of the foregoing points may be summed up in this one particular one. But we venture to make a few more comments which, which are going to fall specifically under this particular heading, the heading of selfishness. We live in the most affluent society that this world has ever known. Add to this the fact that this generation has greater means to get the gospel to every nation and tribe than any previous generation. Radio, television, Internet, it makes evangelism possible as never before. But what happens? Instead of using these means for the glory of God, men become so selfishly involved in them that all of these become uh, detriments to the truth. Do you see what I'm saying? 
instead of using something for the good. It's been used for the bad, and most of the time that it's been used for the bad is because of selfishness. It has been found that people spend hundreds of times more on hobbies and, and vices than on all Christian ministries combined in the U.S. Now listen to this. For every dollar in the U.S. that is spent on churches, 12000 is spent on wicked devices. Think about that. And you wonder why churches try and have to have so many fundraisers and do what we do. 12000 for every dollar that's spent. Now, that includes not just building buildings. That's, that's missions. That's everything. What you could do if you could get some of that in the right direction. Now, you stop and think about some of the preachers and what some of them uh, survive on. Uh, you would be amazed at what some of these men make and, and board-run churches, and they have to try to to feed their family on some of this. It's, it's amazing. And some, some of these guys, I, I read this particular thing, and it said that sometimes that what a, a preacher makes a month is what some people spend on tobacco and alcohol a month. I imagine that. So what's all this got to do with killing a church? Just this, and that is giving to missions is a thermometer which shows the spiritual atmosphere of a church. It, it is generally the gauge of godliness in the church. And it's in just giving to missions. It's anything that we do. Our church is great, has been great in what we're doing, building out here. And as far as I'm concerned, that's like giving to missions. We give to Palau. You know, we're pretty much the sole support for Palau. And we try to raise, and we've, we've raised money in the midst of, of building out here. We've raised enough money to, to, to send to Helga like we try to do because we're it for her. We're it. And, and it's just, um, to be able to see that happen, it's a miracle in itself. People don't realize how much of a miracle. And I, and I look out and I, I see some, and I know some of you uh, have had financial difficulties and, and, and problems. And, and, you know, some of you in the midst of, of praying, God, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. That, that kind of thing. If you don't intervene, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and the, you know, and, and there's a part of me when I, when I hear this, I, you know, you want to do something. You want to help. And, I, and it's the right thing to do is to help. But I also know that because some, I, I know how some of these people have given. And I realize that God is going to intervene in their lives no matter what. God is bound to intervene in their life. And, and, they, and, and he will give them in abundance of what they have given. I believe that, and what I'm saying, I'm saying it prophetically from up here right now. This will happen, and you don't have to worry about it. You know, this, we're not at the end of our road here. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the thousand hills that the cattle are on. It's all his to begin with, and we can never, never not trust in him and believe that he'll take care of us. I see some of you, I can look out over, out over this congregation and see some of you that have been in that bad shape and, and all right now are working and doing really well. And you come down to, all of us come down to that low point sometime in our life, sometimes more than one. And we come down to that low point, and it says, I have no place else to go but to Jesus Christ. There's nothing else I can do. And then all of a sudden, you know, a month from now, everything's just completely turned around. Sometimes three days, four days, everything's turned around. So, yes, uh, you know, you can't, you can't be selfish and expect to, to do anything. You can't be that way. The selfish use of the Lord's money for the gratification of the members of a church will kill a church as quickly as almost any one thing. So God just needs to give us more sound and, and, and 
It's serviceable. When I say that churches preaching the truth and not having to, to worry. You know, I, I think all the churches, I, read, I didn't read this somewhere. It was a preacher, it been years ago, said this. He said, any church that is evangelistically minded will always be in hurting for money. You know, it's just the way they are because they're always trying to reach souls. Whether it be here, whether it be overseas, wherever it may be, they're always trying to reach souls. So God help us to, to get to the point where we realize what's really important. And uh, we trust God. Some of you are about to cross over to Jordan. You really are. You're about to cross over and you're going to see some miracles in your life you never thought possible. You believe that with me? Stand with me. Let's raise our hands together and let's just worship God. Let's just worship Him for what He's going to do. Let's worship Him for the jobs He's going to increase, the pays, pay, the money that's going to increase, you know, the, the hours that are going to increase. Maybe some of you are not too happy about that one, but God does give you the time. And sometimes we ask for money, we get hours. So let's just thank Him for it. Hallelujah, Jesus. We praise You. Thank You, Lord, for expanding us. Thank You, Lord, for helping those that are right now in a financial need. Lord, just touch them right now with a peace in their heart and their minds like they've never had before. Bless them, Jesus, and even God, by this weekend, let them see a difference. Let them see the money come they never thought would have. God, praise God, praise God. Turn to somebody, shake their hand, said, God's going to do it for you. Shake two or three people's hands, tell them, God's going to do it for you. And you're dismissed in Jesus' name.